Let's now turn to the Lord in prayer. We give you thanks, our God, as we come before you. We know that we come before one who is our refuge and our strength. And that though there will be times, that there have been, there will be times in our lives which we are caught in the midst of storms and we do feel that we are lost, yet we know that you will make a way for us. That when we need a place to hide away, there you will be our refuge. When there is a foe against us, uh, that you will be our strength. You are all things for us, all that we need. We give you thanks that we were created by you, that we are sustained by you, and that we live for you. May all the more each day that we, we live, that we awaken from sleep, be reminded that your mercies are new, uh, morning by morning, that in the evening as we look back in the day that we can recount your faithfulness and your goodness to us. Oh, we thank you for all that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ who has made us rich beyond all measure. Our Father, we thank you that we have all these things through our Lord Jesus, who was rich, gave up those riches to become poor as we, that we may be made rich, that we may look forward to our own destination of being with you in glory. Our Father, we thank you that while we are in this life, Again, that you sustain us and that as we lift our prayers, we know that our Father does hear. We pray, our Father, for our country, for your spirit to guide those who are placed in positions of authority and and leadership. And we pray uh, for them to be given a spirit of integrity, uh, discernment of wisdom, to make good choices as they carry out high responsibility. We pray uh, for uh, this Tuesday for the elections, praying for that those who will serve well would be elected, that you would grant us wisdom as we go to the uh, ballot polls, that we ourselves would honor you in the way that we exercise the freedoms that we have been given uh, to elect our leaders. So we pray for your blessing, your guidance of our president, of our governor, of all, again, whom you place in positions uh, to, uh, to, serve, to serve us. Our Father, we uh, pray for those in our congregation who have been ill, who continue to struggle in illnesses, who have chronic pain, and we pray for your mercies to be upon them, to grant them healing, to give them strength and faith in the midst of their trials. We thank you uh, for your provisions and watch over Jerry Hill. And last week had had a seizure and is in good recovery and pray for your continuing watch over him. Our Father, we pray for one of our missionaries, Sir Jonathan Hastings, um, who has uh, suffered uh, eye difficulty. And uh, we pray uh, for him, uh, for the doctors who are providing the care, the surgery that is needed. And Pray for uh, his full healing. Our Father, on this Sunday, which has been designated as for the 
a Sunday to remember our brothers and sisters who are persecuted throughout this world. We do lift them up before you. We thank you for brothers and sisters who have kept the faith, who have faced great trials and hardships, all because they confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Sustain them, uphold them, protect them. We pray that you would bring down leaders of countries who enforce uh, even laws to, to persecute them. We pray for your protection of them from neighbors and other militant groups uh, who seek, that's not simply to, to trouble them or to malign them, but who threaten their very lives, who imprison them, who burn down churches. Our Father, we worry about the loss of freedoms here in this, in this country rightly, but all the more our hearts yearn and, and grieve for those who, simply because they profess Jesus Christ, have placed themselves in danger. There are those who, if they profess you, will have to leave their families, uh, will have to go into hiding. There are those who have come here to this country and now profess you but cannot return home. Our Father, all the more we pray that you would honor them, care for them, and keep them before us in our prayers. We pray for the more than 50 to 70,000 who are in labor camps in North Korea because they confess Jesus Christ. We pray for those in Syria who have had to leave their country who have lost loved ones, whose churches have been burned down in Syria, in Malaysia, in Indonesia. Our Father, be merciful and care for those who are your children. And so, our Father, we come back to us here in this sanctuary. We've not been persecuted on our way here. We're not worried of our church being burned down. But all the more, our Father... It is easy for us then to become forgetful of you, of the freedoms that we have, of keeping our hearts focused upon you and, and realizing the privilege and the joy we have to be here even now. Lift up our hearts and, and our minds to, the, to what is glorious, being here together as brothers and sisters to worship our God through our Lord Jesus Christ, of doing that because of our Lord Jesus was persecuted because he was killed. And yet all by your design, he might become our Savior and who is now returned in great glory. And we worship you, our Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, for our scripture reading, again, I'm going to do what I did um, Last Sunday, you have up there what our text is, uh, that it is Jonah 1, 17 through 2, 10. But I'm going to actually read the verses before that, because as I go through the sermon, I'll be reading all of those verses as we get there. And so I'm going to begin with chapter 1 in uh, verse 12, which gives the setting of what has taken place. So Jonah chapter 1. Verse 12, I did not write down what page that it is uh, in, in the Pew Bibles, 
in my Bible, it, it won't help you. I'm, again, I want to remind you so you don't get thrown off guard. I'm reading from a different version. It's just the one that I always study from and more comfortable with. It's the English Standard Version. So don't get too thrown off. Jonah chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. Jonah said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Let us pray. Father, we've opened your word. And we pray that by your spirit you open our minds that we would receive this word, that we would hear your voice speaking, that we would take the lessons from it and apply it to ourselves to be examined by you, that all the more that we may grow in your grace and to honor you. In our Lord's name we pray. Amen. Well, we now come to the miracle that makes Jonah famous. And whenever anyone has heard that I'm preaching through Jonah, they always bring this up. Oh, you're going to talk about him being swallowed by the big fish. And most of you say fish. You don't say well, and I'm impressed by that. So, uh, but let's, let's just jump right into this. I'm going to begin with verse 17 of chapter 1. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, and then he gives this prayer. And this prayer is written as a poem. It's Hebrew poetry. And just for a little bit of information, when you're reading through the Psalms or when you're reading through uh, this uh, prayer itself, the The primary feature of Hebrew poetry is not trying to rhyme words, but repeating thoughts. So most of the time when you come to a verse, first line, two lines will say something. The next two lines will pretty much say the same thing or else develop that thought. So you kind of want to follow that as we go along here. So we see this actually in the opening verse. This is chapter 2, verse 2. And he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the valley of Shehol, I cried, and you heard my voice. So it's basically the same thoughts there. I cried out, and the Lord hear. And the Lord responds. And that's going to be the theme of the prayer. In his need, Jonah calls out to the Lord, the Lord hears, and the Lord saves. That's the rest of the prayer will develop this theme. Now, verses 3 and 4 present what what we would call the first stanza uh, of the poem or the prayer. In verse 3, he describes what has happened to him. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. 
So he's setting up what was the problem. Now I want you to notice here, particularly, that Jonah ascribes to the Lord. What happened to him? Now we had just read that it was the mariners who had cast him over the ship at Jonah's own recommendation. But Jonah in his prayer says, you, you did it. You cast me into the sea. And he ascribes even the elements of the stormy sea as belonging to God. Your waves, your billows passed over me. Now his simple point is this, that the Lord is behind all that is taking place. He's the one who's who's bringing all of this about. Okay, then he goes on in verse 4. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Now, Jonas is in peril. He's being driven out of the sight of God. Nevertheless, and this is the point here, he has hope. And I want you to note how he describes it. It's an unusual way. Yet I shall look, I shall look not at you, God. I shall look upon your holy temple. Now, he's going to mention the temple again in his prayer. And finally, at the end, near the end, he's going to make an inference to it about doing his sacrifices. So this concept, this image of the temple is important in this prayer. Now, what is that significance? It's this. The temple signifies the presence of the Lord. Now, I've talked about this before. You remember how Jonah's flight was described, not just fleeing the Lord, but fleeing the presence of the Lord. Now, he understood that Yahweh, the Lord, is everywhere. But there is a sense in which his unique presence resides or resided then in the temple in Jerusalem. Perhaps the best way to, to try to understand the Jewish mindset here is Solomon's prayer. When he had built the temple and he gives a, a prayer of dedication. Let me read it to you. It's from Second Chronicles chapter 6, uh, verses 18 to 21. But will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you, that your eyes may be open day and night toward this house, the place where you have promised to set your name that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place and listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place and listen from heaven your dwelling place and when you hear, forgive. Solomon is saying, of course, God is not dwelling in a building on earth. Nevertheless, He determined that he would choose a nation for himself. And that nation would reside in a particular location. And in that location, he would have his temple where all of his people and all true worshipers, they could come there and present their sacrifices to him. And then for those who could not be there literally at the temple, they could turn their faces toward the temple, wherever they are, 
offer up their prayers in knowing that those prayers were sent, in a sense, to that temple before his presence. And as Solomon said, when he comes here to the temple, those prayers go up to the temple in heaven before your presence. And that's, that's what's going on with Jonah here. He's praying for his prayers to go to that temple. Now you can see here the irony for Jonah. You see, Jonah was cast into the sea precisely because he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. That's what he wanted to get away from. Now his hope lies in coming before the presence of the Lord. Again, that's what he means by looking upon God's holy temple. All right, now we come to the second stanza of this prayer poem. It's in verses 5 and 7 through 7. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. So again, Jonah describes his peril, his peril. Then this time he speaks not of his hope, but he's looking now at his hope that was fulfilled. Well, namely that he was rescued. And that rescue occurred because what he's saying is that the prayer that he had made to the Lord did indeed make its way to that temple. And then God heard him. Now the final stanza is verses 8 and 9. And in that stanza, there is a lesson that is, is taught, and then Jonah gives his resolve. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now here's the lesson. It is that our hope is only in the Lord God. Perhaps you already know this, but you, in, in your Bibles, whether it's the NIV or the ESV, when Lord is in there in the Old Testament, most of the time you'll see it's written in capital letters. Okay. Whenever you see that in your Old Testament, you're reading the Hebrew name by which God had identified himself before Moses. And Moses said, you know, who will I say sent me? And he says, I am who I am. And those words form together an anagram. And you, in the pronunciation of it is Yahweh. Sometimes you'll hear me speak of Yahweh. You're probably more familiar with the, with the term pronounced another way. And you, you do it another way. And it is Jehovah. And we often sing hymns about Jehovah. Jehovah, Yahweh, that is another way of saying that's what the Lord is referring to. And the point of this is that that's the only God. And Jonah is saying salvation is not found in a, you know, some kind of generic Lord, a generic God. 
This, this idea that we have that it doesn't matter what God you believe in, it is simply that you believe and have faith, that's, that's what matters. Well, it's just not true. Okay. The whole experience of the mariners, the whole lesson that the mariners learned through that storm was that none of the gods they called upon could help them. They were vain idols. That's why after the storm, they now call upon and offer sacrifices to Yahweh, to the Lord God. Salvation belongs to the Lord, to no one else. So therefore, Jonah resolves to give thanks to the true God, the Lord God. And so he makes a vow that when he gets back someday to Jerusalem, he's going to come to that temple and he is going to offer up a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord. Jonah has learned his lesson. Not only is it unwise to flee the presence of the Lord because you're just going to get in trouble, but to do so is to flee one's only hope of salvation, one's only hope of steadfast love. It is to flee the only one who can save. And so he comes to the end of that prayer. And in verse 10, we, we have the, the ending. I just don't like reading, but I'll read it out loud anyhow. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now, if I was a little boy, I would have liked that, but anyhow. Okay. What then can we learn from Jonah's fish story and prayer? Well, here's the first thing to learn. Remember how I talked about how it's got temple in there? Two times it says it, and then the third time it kind of makes an inference to it. Here's the point. We have a greater temple than Jonah had. That earthly temple would someday be destroyed. It was never more than a copy, though, of the true heavenly temple. In the true temple stands our high priest. And that high priest is our Lord Jesus Christ who sees that our prayers, all of our prayers are heard, and he intercedes for us. His ministry was superior to that of any earthly priest, and it remains ever effective for us now. The writer of Hebrew explains it. It's in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the, hev- in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. He's talking about the heavenly tabernacle. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. So he's saying if Jesus was on earth, well, he's, he wouldn't be a priest right now. They're, they're earthly priests, okay, who are there at the temple. But they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern 
that was shown you on the mountain. So that, that architectural plans there for the temple, those were copies of the real temple, the real tabernacle that is up there in heaven. There is a real temple. And what does this mean for us? Well, it means this. Maybe there are times that you do your own fleeing from God. Maybe you're doing some fleeing right now. You find yourself sinking down into the stormy sea. Well, do like Jonah and remember the Lord. Pray to the Lord, knowing that your prayer does not vanish into thin air, nor does it sink further down into the stormy sea. Know that it does find its way to the temple of the Lord. And there where in that temple is our Lord Jesus Christ, is our high priest. He assures that our prayers make it there. And he assures that our prayers are heard. And again, as I mentioned, he adds his own intercession. Remember that the Lord is sovereign. You are never alone. Whether you're in the temple of the Lord or you are miles away in a ship, or even at the bottom of the sea, your Lord is with you. And someone hearing this might protest. But my trouble is of my own doing. I, like Jonah, am guilty of disobeying my God, fleeing him to go my own way. Well, then learn from Jonah. He who fled from his God now expresses hope in his prayer. Someday he will return to that temple before the presence of the Lord. He who fled in fear will return in thanksgiving. Do you think that your heavenly Father would turn a deaf ear to you? Do you believe that his love could possibly reach its limit? You're not a pagan who calls upon a vain idol. Your God is the Lord God. He's Yahweh, Jehovah, in whom, as, as, as Jonah describes it, we can place our hope of a steadfast love. That was Jonah's hope. He might be unfaithful, but the Lord is not. His love may be limited, but the Lord's love is not. The Lord's love is a steadfast love, resting on the covenant promises that he has made. You may flee, but the Lord will pursue. And your prayer to him, your return to him, in truth, it is nothing more than his drawing you back to him. And indeed, I know this. I know that many of you here cannot look back on the storms of your life without saying, yes, his hand was behind those storms. According to Jonah, it was the God who brought up his life from the pit, who also cast him into the deep, who caused those waves and bellows to pass over him. It was the Lord who hurled that great wind upon the sea in the first place. But the storm... The casting of Jonah overboard, even that very sinking down to Sheol, which is how the Hebrew pronounces, uh, gives this, it was all produced by God to bring his servant 
back to him. The stormy trial of Jonah, it was not so much discipline, God God getting upset with him and therefore punishing him. It was not that so much as it was the Lord bringing his servant back to him and increasing in him a greater appreciation for the Lord's sovereignty and the Lord's mercy. And so we learn that the Lord works storms in our life for that same purpose. He will stop your wandering and he will lead you back, back into his holy temple before his presence. As we have a greater temple. And here's what else that we are taught that we have. We have a greater Jonah. Now some of you, I know you have been wondering, when is he going to get to the fish? You know, and know what the whole thing is about. Well, you're not alone in singling the fish out. Jesus took special note of it. In Matthew 12, in verses 38 to 41, we read this. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You want a sign? Jesus was saying. You meditate on the significance of Jonah returning to life after being buried at sea in the belly of a fish after three days. That's the sign from Scripture that points to me. You know, I've no doubt that the Lord meditated upon Jonah's fish story. He knew that he was heading into a mighty storm. But unlike Jonah, he was not fleeing from God's presence, nor was he cast by anyone overboard. He was heading directly to the storm. And the time would come when he would leap overboard into that sea. Surely he meditated upon Jonah's description in his prayer of sinking down further and further into darkness, into the pit, into the very belly of Sheol. Now I know in the NIV it has realm of dead. Sheol represents the place in which one is separated from the presence of God. Jesus knew there would come a time when he would come to that place upon the cross when the face, the presence of God the Father, would turn away from him. He meditated on what it would be like for the waters to close in over him to take his life, what it would be like to go down to the land whose whose bars would close upon him what it would be like to be three days and nights in the earth as Jonah was in the belly of the fish. But the sign of Jonah was not merely that he was in that belly of a fish, but that the fish returned him to life, so to speak, by spewing him onto dry land. Jonah lived. 
He did not become fish food. And likewise, Jesus did not remain in the earth. He rose. The sign is is not simply that of dying, but it is that of dying and coming back to life. But let me note here, Jonah was saved by mercy. Jonah was a sinner, rescued from the peril that his sin had placed him in. Jesus was saved by his own victory over death. The earth could not contain the one who created the earth. Death could not close its bar over him, for he had broken those bars. Jesus had not been a sinner. He proved to be pure, and thus a greater sacrifice than all the temple sacrifices combined. And so just as we have a a greater temple, a greater Jonah, so we have a greater sacrifice than Jonah tried to make of himself. The story of Jonah is a fun and encouraging story to read about. The story of Jesus is the battle that he won for our salvation. The story of Jonah is a sign. The story of Jesus is fulfillment of that sign. What then does Jesus' story mean for you? Well, Jesus said it best in John 11, 25 to 26. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Someday, you know this, you will come through the storm of death. But you'll come through it, for your Lord will lift you up. And he will bring you into his Father's glorious presence. He will take you before Yahweh into the holy of holies, the true heavenly temple that is your destination. And meanwhile, he'll lift you up again and again as you fail at times like you're drowning again and again. He will not forsake you. And even now, you can testify to that, can't you? What then should be your response? Well, it should be that of Jonas who vowed to enter into the earthly temple of Jerusalem with his sacrifice of thanksgiving. So do that. Offer your own such sacrifice to your Lord. Now, I cannot help but wonder when Jonah is praying, if he's not actually recalling another psalm, another prayer. It's Psalm 116. And it's the meditation of a, of a person who had evidently had a near-death experience. And he speaks of his brush with death, and then he ponders, what should his response be? And let me read it. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, precious. And the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. 
I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Well, here you are now in the presence of God's people. Offer to him the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. And if there's anyone here who is yet to do so, if you have been fleeing from the Lord all your life, well, consider that he has somehow, he has brought you here at this time. Now, today is the day of salvation. Call upon him. He will hear you. Oh, we give you thanks and praise our God. That wherever we are, Wherever we may be, whatever troubles we may be in, however despairing we might feel, that if we remember you, lift our prayers to you, they will come before your very presence. We know that because of our Lord Jesus, our high priest. Oh, we give you thanks for him. In his name we pray. Amen. Let us continue our worship and we'll stand and sing together. Hymn number 314, the first two verses of What Wondrous Love Is This? So the institution of the Lord's Supper is given to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Said that the sign, the story of Jonah was a sign that Jesus was the fulfillment of that sign. So here we have a sign before us, pointing to our Lord Jesus Christ. A sign and seal that our Lord, yes, died for us, but that our Lord also rose again. And so our Lord is here with us even now spiritually. And he calls upon his people to remember him. Jonah said, I then remembered the Lord, and I sent my prayer to him. Remember the Lord now. Remember what he has done for you, but also to remember what he does for you even now. The Lord is your high priest. He is in that true heavenly temple. Even now he listens to you. He hears you. He knows what is going within your heart. He knows the sins that you have committed. He knows the fleeing that you have done, whether you know it or not. He's not sitting up there disappointed, begrudging those whom he has died for. He has given us this sacrament to remind us we still belong to him. And so as we are to partake of these elements, we partake of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is to build our faith, our hope, and our confidence in him. Let us pray. Father, as we do take these elements, all the more we pray for you to feed us, all the more we pray that you to to give us the drink of eternal life, all the more we pray that you would fill us up to save us from drowning. At times we feel that way. Remind us that evermore that you are here, that you care for us. You will never let us drown. Oh, we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take eat. This is my body given for you.
the body of Christ given for you. In the same manner, our Savior also took the cup. After having given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink all you of it.
blood of Christ shed for you. Drink all you of him. We give you thanks and praise, our Lord, for our Lord Jesus Christ, that he took upon himself our very flesh, and in that flesh made atonement for our sins upon the cross. We thank you that though he died and he was buried, yet he rose again, and so we have hope for our own resurrection. Thank you that he has ascended on high, and there is our high priest and ever intercedes for us. And we look to that day that he shall return again in all of his glory to establish forever his kingdom. In his name we pray. Amen. We'll continue our worship, continuing to sing the remaining two verses. What wondrous love is this. To God and to the Lamb I will sing, I will sing. To God and to the Lamb I will sing. To God and to the Lamb who is the great I am while millions join the I will sing, I will sing, while millions join the theme, I will sing. And when from free, I'll sing on, I'll sing on, and when from death I'm free, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing and joyful be, and though eternity, I'll sing on, I'll sing on, and through eternity, I'll sing. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.